if you've played in a Ryder Cup and you haven't been invited to be a vice captain, it, it's like the biggest insult going because yeah. everybody gets to be a vice captain. The assistant captains at the Ryder Cup, that's become like the studio audience at an Oprah Winfrey show. <laughs> you get a you get a golf cart and you get a walkie-talkie and you get a nice shirt. It's every, everybody's involved in this thing. It's insane. I do think Tiger being out there will add to theater for this Ryder Cup. And when you have that guy out there as an assistant captain, yeah. it will certainly it will certainly provide good theater. And we haven't seen Tiger in the golf arena at all this year. So it, it will add to it uh, and, and certainly be a part of it. But nothing becomes more important than a putt to have or a, a tee shot one down on 18. Welcome to another episode of the Golf.com podcast. I'm your host, Sean Zock, and we are one week away from the Ryder Cup. Now, if you're anything like me, you've been thinking about this event for far too long, at least since Jimmy Walker tapped in for his PGA Championship victory on the last day of July at Baltusrol. Finally, it finally seems appropriate to talk about the Ryder Cup. And to do so, we've got a great guest on today. He spent 25 years working at ESPN as a broadcaster before recently making the move to NBC, where he worked the Olympics this summer, as well as the British Open. He is Mike Tirico and he'll be covering the Ryder Cup at Hazeltine next weekend. Before that, however, he has one more Notre Dame football game to call. Mike, thank you for joining me. You've been spending a lot of time in South Bend, Indiana, haven't you? I have, but the good news of that for me, Sean, well, first off, it's a beautiful place. But the good news for me is that it's only a few hours from where I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, so it's been uh, not as many flights, airline trips. It's been an easy couple-hour drive, so... Been good to be over in South Bend for a bit, but can't wait to get to Hazeltine in the Ryder Cup. It's going to be an awesome uh, weekend for sure. Definitely. Now, the Ryder Cup has been traveling um, a, a lot more than you have. As people <laughs> as people may know, uh, the trophy's been uh, to Wrigley Field, the Georgia Dome, Texas Memorial Stadium. Last weekend, it was at Notre Dame Stadium for the game against Michigan State. Did you get to see the, the trophy at all? Not only that, it was at Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday. And then it was in Minnesota on Sunday before the Vikings game as they opened their new stadium against the Packers. So I saw the Ryder Cup Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> now, I did not bring it home with me on Monday. So it was we ended our two-day run, but we'll be back reunited again next week. Yeah, definitely. Now, I didn't really like that, that uh, the final game, the Vikings-Packers game. I'm a Packers fan myself. They didn't, they didn't quite pull oh, it out. You know, you, you've had many, many years. As I told one of the Packers guys who I'm friends with, how lucky for that organization for pretty much two decades you've been set at quarterback and you look at the Cleveland Browns, if, if you really think about this, the Packers have truly started, you know, a handful of quarterbacks, a couple of injuries here and there, but by and large they've started two quarterbacks for the last 20 plus years. The Browns are on their third this year in three weeks. So <laughs> Packer fans have nothing to complain about. No, I'm with you. Uh, we've been blessed. Now I need to share a little bit of ammo with you. I was okay. at, I was at the uh, the Notre Dame Michigan State game. I okay. I was visiting a friend in South Bend. Uh, we hung out late late that night. It was a night game. We stayed probably forty five minutes late after the game had ended. Uh, ran into your colleague Catherine Tappan, and uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we had a football with us. They wouldn't let us onto the field, but we were throwing passes from the field to the end zone. And I asked her. I said, Hey, do you want to run a route into the end zone? I'll throw you a pass. She said, I bet you she did. She did. She's like, just let me get my mic off. So she was all in. She did run the route. She ran a great flag route. I hit her in the hands. 
but she dropped it. Oh, I will I will tell her when I see her tomorrow when we get over to South Bend, I'll give her grief. Yeah. Give you... her grief for that. Catherine was a uh cross country scholarship athlete and matter of fact ran steeplechase. Oh my gosh. At uh, Rutgers. So she she's a she's a pretty good athlete. We were at Michigan State's indoor facility uh last week before the Spartans game uh, against Notre Dame and uh Doug Flutie Doug Flutie's like a kid, man. You get a, <laughs> Doug Flutie gets near a field and he needs to throw a football. So Flutie's throwing us routes, and I'm running routes, catching balls from Flutie, and Tap was right out there with us as well. So she's uh, she's good, good on the air, and she's a pretty good uh, pretty good route runner to be a steep, steeplechase athlete. He used to jump over those hurdles and into the water and then out and all that good stuff. Definitely. Yeah, you'll just have to give her a hard time. I, I could tell if she oh, ran a good route, but just didn't Done qu- deal. That is easy. Glad <laughs> to do it. Um, now, we can get to golf because this is the golf.com podcast. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I saw just before I came on here an interview you did a long time ago, and you said golf golfers, in your eyes, are the best athletes to cover, and that's something that yeah. Tom Rinaldi actually uh, he told me that this summer as well. Why why do you think so? That Rinaldi guy's stealing from me again, isn't he? Huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tom's Tom's the all time best. I love working with him uh, over the years. You know, uh, I think it's a maturity if we cover an athlete who's in their late twenties or early thirties or even later thirties, there are very few and far between. It's a small percentage of the athletes we cover within sports on a regular basis. Golfers, you'll get, you know, Snedeker, Kuchar, Zach Johnson, obviously Mickelson, just to go through the Ryder cup guys, they're all thirties and up, you know, and uh, Sergio Garcia over the European side, Westwood, uh, Martin Keimer, all those guys are in their thirties or forties. So any of us who are that old, know you figured it out a little bit more at that age than you did earlier on. So that's one factor to it. But I think it's also a, a secondary and even a tertiary level. Secondarily, it's the nature of the game. You know, it's you and your score to perpetuity. Uh, there is no excuse. Maybe the caddy gave you a bad yardage, but that's your fault for not figuring it out. Uh, there's no offensive coordinator who didn't call plays that, fit you there's no offensive line that didn't block for you it's just you and i think that uh brings a maturity of accountability in the sport that's different and i also think once you get to this level you are and and, and the obvious part of calling rules and fractions uh, upon yourself within a match but i also think there's the representation of corporate america or in now global corporations you walk around as a billboard you are representing IBM, you're representing Microsoft, you're representing Ford, whatever the companies are, you're representing them on your hat, on your shirt. And that's a lot of your income dependent upon that. So you need to comport yourself in a certain way, not make excuses on the course. And you kind of get to your best days when you're older. I think all of those factors come into why it's such a pleasure and so much easier to cover golfers than it is most other athletes in most other sports. Yeah, that's a that's a very good explanation. Now, golf is not the only sport that you specialize in. I'm curious where it, where it ranks. Um, not that you have to play favorites, but what mm-hmm. what do you where do you see the golf broadcast among the other broadcasts that you do? Is there something sure. that you enjoy more about it, or that you that is more difficult than other people realize? Right. I, well, I gave up on what's my favorite. Uh, kind of as a default, uh, I would say, well, they're all, I like them all the same because I didn't, didn't want to insult uh, the people at Augusta National while I was doing 
the NBA Finals or the people at the NBA when I was doing Wimbledon and you're at center court at Wimbledon. I, I was in a lot of great places. I didn't want to particularly insult any of the organizers, the people who are truly passionate about that sport. And I made the analogy that, you know what, it's like having multiple kids and anyone who's blessed to have multiple children, you know, they do know that there is truth in the cliche that you love them all the same in different ways. And that's what I feel about covering sports. Instead of saying, this is my favorite, I've tried to learn to appreciate each one and they've come to mean different things for me. Uh, for golf, it goes back. It's the first sport I really did on a network level uh, that I was able to make a, a breakthrough at ABC and work with Curtis Strange and work with a lot of great people along the way there. That was 20 years ago. And that stayed a big part of me. So I, I've loved that. What we just talked about, about the type of sport you cover, and it requires a different skill set. So it kind of keeps you balanced, uh, I think, professionally. So golf ranks right up there. I play less than I used to. Uh, I think it's just a function of having teenage kids but uh, and, and the travel that comes with work. But I love I love when I get a chance to go out and play. Matter of fact, I, I, to me, a therapeutic half hour is going to, you know, hit wedges and chip at, at, a, at a, a chipping area at the club that we belong to or to go hit golf balls on the range. I, I just love doing that if you don't have the time to go out and play. Or even to walk uh, nine holes is, is just really therapeutic. So because of that, it's the one sport that I still somewhat participate in. It gives me the the comfort and enjoyment of covering it in a different way than uh, I get a joy out of covering football or a different way I get a joy out of covering something like the Olympic Games. Yeah, that makes sense. It's especially great to get out and, and play a little bit this time of year. It's getting a little bit cooler, cooler especially in the Midwest. Um, now this summer, though, it was big news, obviously, when you made the move from ESPN. You'd been there for mm -hmm. 25 years to NBC. I think some ill-informed people would say, you know, Tariko's just making the move and he's still calling the same game. But when it comes to golf broadcasts, how significant of a change is that for you to switch to another brand? Well, it's it's significant in, in several ways. One, I'm not doing the job that I used to do when covering golf at ESPN or ABC. Dan Hicks and Johnny Miller are, I think, the longest, I'm pretty sure, the longest-running 18th Tower team in golf history. Uh, so they're they're firmly cemented there and do a great job too. And one of the neat parts of my ESPN golf days, we got to cover the U.S. Open, and because of the hours of the U.S. Open and the coverage on ESPN, NBC produced all the coverage, but we had uh, six or seven of us from ESPN as the announcers on the broadcast as you had all those hours. And our two golf families essentially came together for one weekend. And over the years of doing that, going back, I think, to 2000 was my first U.S. Open. I got to work with not just Dan and Johnny a little bit, but all the NBC announcers and their production staff. And Tommy Roy does a great job. And Tom Randolph and Doug Graybert, uh, the guys who lead the uh, very talented people in the trucks. And I think you've seen over the years, NBC's golf broadcasts are just exceptional. They do a phenomenal job covering the sport. So I knew them uh, before I got there. And then to join them at the Open Championship this year was, was great for me. A chance to be a Troon, to cover the Open for my 20th straight year in a different role, but certainly to be a part of their team. It, it was a great place to walk in for my first NBC assignment because I knew how they did their work and who most of the people were. So that has made that part of the transition easy, and I'll get to work a couple of these big golf events with them 
and uh, hopefully can help uh, supplement the great job that they already do. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad it was a pretty seamless move for you. You called the British Open uh, this summer. Now the Ryder Cup, though, is is new for you. Is that right? This will be your first time calling the event? No, actually, it's a funny story. Since it's a podcast, I can, I can give you the quick story. Okay. Uh, or it's not that quick, but you get the drift. When Al Michaels left the Disney family ABC slash ESPN to go to NBC, uh, he, he was going to be under contract to work Monday Night Football. Al left to do Sunday Night Football on ESPN slash ABC, the Disney Corporation, left, let him come out of that deal to go to NBC, but it was a trade. So in, in addition, some stuff had to come back to the ESPN ABC side. And what Disney got was the rights to Oswald the Rabbit, cartoon character, second after Mickey Mouse in terms of Walt Disney character creations. Somehow, some way, it ended up in the NBC Universal world. I don't exactly know how it ended up there. It was way, way, way back in the day. But it was important to the folks who had long roots in the Disney Corporation to get Oswald back in-house. So the trade was Oswald the Rabbit, some extended highlight rights for SportsCenter for covering the Olympic Games that year, or the following Olympic Games it would be, and the right to buy Friday at the Ryder Cup. <laughs> so we covered Friday at the Ryder Cup in 08 at Valhalla, 2010 at Celtic Manor in Wales and 2012 at Medina. So I got the chance to be a part of those three Ryder Cups on Friday. Uh, Friday at Medina was a full day. You, Europeans had a good day there. At Celtic Manor, we had a, a ton of rain. If you remember, it finished on Monday. Uh, that was a, a messy day. We didn't get much golf in, but we were on the air for 12 hours. <laughs> it showed about an hour and a half of golf. But Valhalla in 08, was one of my favorite days. It was the first day I got to cover the Ryder Cup. We were on the air for 13 hours, uh, sun up to sundown. You get there when it's dark, you leave when it's dark. The captains were Paul Azinger and Nick Faldo. And the few years before that, I worked with Nick and Paul when they got started as a team at ABC. So I had real great insight and connectivity to each side. And Paul and I were still working together on the uh, ESPN ABC side. So that 08 Ryder Cup experience for me was uh, one of my favorite times to ever uh, work a sporting event. So I do have some familiarity with the Ryder Cup and uh, look forward to covering my fourth and going to my fifth. Uh, my wife and I were there as fans in 99 at, at the country club on Sunday when the U.S. had that great comeback. Okay, that, that is an incredible story. So essentially, you getting to, to do the Ryder Cup in 08 is tied to a cartoon rabbit? Correct. Oswald the rabbit. Uh, <laughs> Oswald, my, my favorite personal Disney character, because without, without Oswald, if the trade doesn't happen, who knows if I ever get the chance to do Monday Night Football. So uh, Ryder Cup, Monday Night Football, Oswald the rabbit, he, he would trump Mickey, Minnie, or any other Disney characters in, in the Tarico household, for sure. I'm having a hard time not laughing out loud into the microphone right now. <laughs> that is that is so, so cool. Well, that's I great. I hope you laugh. It's a story. We, stories are supposed to be fun, right? <laughs> that is so great. Um, what, what about the preparation for you changes uh, with the Ryder Cup compared to like a major? What is sure. different about this? Sure. Well, I, I remember this when I was in the booth, and in a hosting role, it's a little bit different, but I'm going to prepare the same way. Uh, you know, instead of preparing for 
maybe 25 to 30 guys who can win a golf tournament and you really do a deep dive on those players and then everybody else, you, you know, you, you try with great research people as we had at ESPN uh, and uh, as Golf Channel has as well. There's some, some really good, good people. Matter of fact, Justin Ray is one of those guys. He worked with us at ESPN now, works at Golf Channel. Gil Caps runs an extraordinary research group at Golf Channel who helped get us stuff. If you watch College Game Day, there's a guy named Chris Felica, the bear, who does picks on College Game Day. Felica is a huge golf uh, aficionado as well, and he was with us in the booth at the Open and has been part of our golf prep at Augusta as well. So those people are really special, especially when you get to a 156-player field and you want to have a nugget on the guy who came through local and sectional qualifying uh, at the U.S. Open. So th- those guys become so much a part of uh, helping your preparation. Here it's a little different. You have 24 guys, you know, 23 of them we know. So you dive down on them, their Ryder Cup history, uh, their partnerships, with whom they've partnered, w- where that was successful or not. And obviously you have the history of the Ryder Cup, which you know all of us have kind of, as golf fans, been able to enjoy. As, as a matter of fact, I was I was on the elliptical uh, just getting a quick workout in yesterday and happened to be watching a Golf Channel movie on the 91 Ryder Cup. And it just reminds you of so many things that happened. And here's Hale Irwin on 18 when it's longer and Irwin, it's down to that last match. And Hale Irwin hits a, it's just a snappy hook to the left. They, they could have been down by the dunes and it happens to hit someone who worked for the PGA of America and did for a long time. Kathy Jordan bounces back into the fairway and Irwin has a three woody short and longer comes up. We no longer misses the five and a half to six foot putt uh, that gives the U S the win after the year before the Ryder cup before that at the Belfry. And that really, that quote war at the shore uh, really changed the specter and the scope of the Ryder cup. And I think you kind of look at the scores after that, everything, but the one at Oakland Hills mm-hmm. and the Cake club, those back to back, we've had some, very competitive Ryder Cups here uh, in that stretch, certainly from 91 or 89 when it was halved and Europe retained the cup on through uh, the country club in 99. And then since then, the European side has had the better play for sure. Now, uh, when I, when I asked that question kind of about preparation, I guess in general, uh, both from a host perspective, um, kind of being Mm -hmm. uh, in your former role at ESPN as well, is there anything about match play that's different uh, for you? Like, because there's multiple leaderboards that you kind of have to track. You're not really just tracking sure. the leaders. Yeah, I, I, I think it's hard, especially when you get to the singles on Sunday. I've not been on the air during a single Sunday. Uh, but I think it becomes very hard just to kind of keep a big picture on if this happens, if this happens. Because let's, let, let's say your two sides are separated by a couple of points in the overall Ryder Cup. And you have three matches that are in one down or one up territory. Those flip really fast. They they can flip in seven shots. And now the whole tenor of the competition. So to be able to keep that big picture in mind, I think, is very important as as you go through that. And just in general in match play, you can't be with every match. And anyone who's played match play, which a lot of us do, and friends go out for a golf outing or in club play, you know that match play has such a, a tenor to it that it could flip so quickly. And that, that's where I think the coverage of the Ryder Cup has been so good over the years because uh, 
especially those first two days, day, morning, and afternoon sessions, Tommy Roy, the producer, the executive producer of the golf coverage, does such a good job of having reporters with each match. Yeah. And you get a sense of what's gone on because you'll see in two holes, somebody may give a putt that you might not see in terms of highlight form, but a putt not given or a putt given or a putt not given, mm-hmm. you really get under somebody's skin. Uh, we've all had somebody, you know, kind of not give us a two and a half footer. And you're like, are, are you kidding me, dude? Well, <laughs> really? And you know that it, it ticks you off. And then sometimes it inspires you to play better, but sometimes it gets out, gets you out of your focus and you start playing angry and you play poorly. So those things can be really detected very well. I think by, by golfers, former golfers, people who are out there walking the course. So uh, to me, that's the tenor more than just the scoreboard of what match play uh, can bring. You know, I, I was really lucky to spend some time around Tiger and talked with Tiger back in the early, early to mid two thousands about a lot of the things that match play brings in terms of how you want to approach a match yeah. as you're playing it. And I look for those things still in matches as uh, you watch a match play deal play out. So it's fun. It's exciting. It's different. It brings the flag into play for us fans. Uh, the European guys get all galvanized somehow, some way we don't know, why they make every putt they look at uh but it's it's fun it is really good and you add the recent history of the dominance of the european side and uh it just points to a great event for three days in minneapolis i I cannot wait to get there next week i have uh i I was doing an interview with somebody else a few weeks ago about football and they were talking about being at NBC. and i said "I, i gotta be honest with you to get back to the Ryder Cup has me so juiced. I, I, I can't wait to be there. Awesome. Uh, now, you said you spent some time with Tiger talking match play stuff. I'm curious, is there anything that really stood out to you about his his approach to match play or, or his his guidelines or his advice? Yeah, I, I think it was just kind of be how do you control the match no matter what the score is. And uh, it could be the pace with your, at which you're playing, place it, pace it with your walking, uh, sometimes do you want to hit the, if it's a hole where you are feeling confident, do you want to hit the first shot in? Would you, would you take a different club off a tee? So you have, you know, 140 in instead of a wedge, if you felt you still had an advantage or instead of 120, maybe. So you felt you had an advantage. And if you felt really good about that shot, you were hitting your nine iron. Well, and it was 140 and you felt you could stick it in there close and put more pressure on somebody, a variety of things that don't come up necessarily match to match, but, come up in your Rolodex. I asked Tiger, is that an event uh, that uh, was an American Express event? And uh, they asked me to MC it. And I was interviewing Tiger essentially in front of, uh, I don't know, maybe a hundred or 200 people. And I asked him what made him so good at match play when he went through the years, winning the junior am and the U S am. And he went into some of those details of how match play is so different than stroke play. And I, I just thought it was really cool. And I've retained those forever. Now I wish I had the option in the rare, rare moments that I get a chance to play match play to, to lay up and play first into a green, <laughs> it's usually because of a lack of ability that I have to play first into a green. Uh, but but I, it, it's just interesting to hear verbally oh, yeah. why somebody's mental approach to match play was so effective. And I, I, thought, I thought I gleaned a lot from that, and I watched that, and I'll be, I'm sure Tiger will be sharing some of his match play philosophies or theories with the players as he – is part of the Davis love 
gaggle of co- of captains and vice captains. I, I think that's the pretty funny the funny thing as the Ryder Cup has played out. I mean, you're almost like if if you've played in a Ryder Cup. And you haven't been invited to be a vice captain. It, it, it's like the biggest insult going because yeah. everybody gets to be a vice captain. You know, it, it's like the vice captaincy or the assistant assistance to the captain, if you will, better word, probably assistance. <laughs> the assistant captains at the Ryder Cup, that's become like the studio audience at an Oprah Winfrey show. <laughs> you get a you get a golf cart and you get a walkie talkie and you get a nice shirt. It's every, everybody's involved in this thing. It's insane sometimes. Yeah. Now that that's one of the things I kind of wanted to ask you about is uh, is how much do you guys pay attention to the assistant captains um, in the broadcasting role? Because I, I'm with you. I think it is kind of funny how many people get to be an assistant captain and how many birds are chirping in Davis Love's ear. Do you right. th- do you think that that uh, there's room for a distraction to be made by those guys? And, and how much do you guys pay attention to them? Yeah, I I. I think they become part of the theater. I think it depends how much they insert themselves in the role. Uh, you know, you, there's usually always a one who's an active voice or very important behind the scenes. There's somebody who you never know the impact they have in the team room. Uh, they could see things that are going on that uh, maybe they can uh, calm a fear of a, of a player or, or dampen a concern they might have. There are so many different parts where you don't really know. Uh, I, I think it, it depends on how it becomes involved in the competition when you go through. Sometimes people's personalities will be very present out there. Sometimes they'll blend into the background, you know. So I, like, I, I don't see Tom Lehman getting in the middle of a controversy, <laughs> you know, or, or, or Stricker or you know, guys like that as as we go through this. So look, look, I, I do think Tiger being out there will add to theater for this Ryder Cup. I mean, it's you know, uh, Tim Fincham just did his uh, final state of the tour press conference at the tour championship. And he said, Tiger's the greatest player that has played the game. And when you have that guy out there as an assistant captain, yeah, it will certainly, it will certainly provide good theater. And we haven't seen Tiger in the golf arena at all this year. So it, it will add to it uh, and, and certainly be a part of it, but, Nothing becomes more important than a putt to have or a tee shot one down on 18. Yeah, I do find it funny. The the Gulf fans, especially the fans up in Minnesota that will be there, have been absolutely starved for Tiger Woods, for the Gulf hero that everyone associates with. And the first time they're going to really see him on a golf course will be not swinging any clubs and talking into a radio. Um, right. Now, the, the Tour Championship is this weekend, and there's plenty mm-hmm. plenty to be decided there. But yes. <laughs> I, I, I did see recently that you sort of endorsed Bubba Watson. Would would you say if you were in Davis Love's shoes that Bubba Watson would be your final captain's pick? I was asked, you know, if, if it was up to you. And I would have a hard time keeping a top 10 player who's yeah. won two majors, represented the U.S. He, look, when, when people were bailing on the Olympics, he said, I'm going. He was a top 10 guy with major credentials, and he put his hand up and said, I'll go. And I saw him there. <clears throat> he sat a row behind me at uh, Michael Phelps' uh, race when Phelps won a gold medal. And he was cheering for the U.S. He found his way backstage in the swimming venue to be in the ready room. I mean, he was so into it. He wasn't playing well on Thursday, and he's passing out pins uh, to fans. He helped. I thought the Olympics – I thought – needed the Olympics more than the Olympics need golf. 
and I thought that the whole thing came out great. Yeah. And I thought Bubba Watson was early in that process. And if it's not the same governing body at all, but if you're representing the country and the sport the way he did, and you're top 10 in the world, it's not like you're shooting 85 or 87. You can play good golf at any time. Hazeltine, if set up in a certain way, can be a very long course. I think the guy deserves to be on the team. Now, it has to say something to someone somewhere that we've had picks for the team and he hasn't been picked. Is it concern of a fit? Is it leaving a space for the hot player? Who knows what it is? Is it, is it the fit in general with everyone in the team room? Davis Love and those guys have to answer that question. That's not for me. I'm just saying, based on put the tee in the ground, hit the ball, win a hole, score the best. When a guy's won two majors, yeah, represented the country in the Olympics, and is still top 10 in the world, that's good enough for me. So do you, are you making the uh, announcement on Sunday night, or is that coming from uh, the, the booth crew, or what's uh, how's that going down? Do that, you know? That, that is a good question. I do not know the logistics of that yet. As a matter of fact, I'm about, let's see, I'm about a day and a half away from the phone call where I'm going to find out exactly how that's playing out. Okay. I asked the same question, but I, know, I do know we're going to find out Sunday night, and that'll be, be exciting to be uh, sharing that information with everyone, and then hopping home for a quick day, uh, drop some clothes off, and, and get, over to, uh, get over to the Twin Cities again and get the Ryder Cup going. No kidding. Now, now, right before you go, uh, sure. I, I I did see that you're in Michigan. You live in Michigan. Uh, grew up in New mm-hmm. York. You realize right. that you're kind of getting into this Ryder Cup business like one decade late, before uh, from the Oakland Hills Cup in Michigan. How 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 sad are you? Didn't you didn't get to be involved as far as broadcasts go with that one? Well, you know what? It, it, it's it's funny that you said that and did mention that because I was I was there. For the opening ceremony, we had the football games that weekend, so I was there for the opening ceremony for that. So I didn't, I wasn't on property for any of the competition. That's why I didn't include it uh, when I was telling you about the Ryder Cups I had been to. But we were living here uh, at that time in 2004. You know, that was famous Tiger and Phil Pairing. Sutton was the captain, and you know that's what that's what people want to see. And it just didn't work out, and kind of was the point where this thing went a little bit south for the U.S. It was such a such a difficult one for the American side to deal with. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a great place. That's about a 45 minute drive from where I live and Oakland Hills is spectacular. So I got a chance to see that opening ceremony. I'm looking forward to the opening ceremony this year in Minneapolis. Cause that's just cool theater. Uh, Everybody's all dressed up and uh, you know, there's kind of a half pressure going on there an unspoken pressure. That's neat. And then they contrast that with the ceremony the closing ceremony that I'll be involved with after the Ryder Cup on Sunday. We've got uh, got a lot of theater, a lot of good stuff. It's good to be uh, good to be back in the Midwest because our fans up here love love the sport. I think love it in a different way because the season's so short for yeah. us. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, and and as you know, uh, especially here in the state I love and live in, in Michigan, we've got great golf courses. Uh, Hazeltine's spectacular, you know, and the lakes up in the Midwest are just just awesome so it's a tough course uh you know it can be long it can be difficult and uh, we do know this there's a great uh, passion for the country uh in the in the midwest and you're going to hear those uh, minnesota fans hooting and hollering for sure so could be quite quite a week as you can tell 
I cannot wait for this thing to get yeah, going. You, you are amped up. Last thing. I am. Uh, yes. So Curtis Strange is actually, ironically, uh, the guy that's supposed to come on the podcast next, later this week. Oh. So I gave oh. you some Catherine Tappan ammo. Can you give us any Curtis Strange ammo? Any stories, fun stories of you and Strange? Curtis, ask, ask, Curtis, ask Curtis how long he worked on his Ryder Cup speech because they all have to give a speech okay. at the opening ceremony ask him how long he worked on that because we were partners back then and uh man that, that thing I, that thing was like was like a pregnancy that thing <laughs> went on for nine or ten months but it was but it's because he cared about it so much i uh, he's he is um as good a friend as i've made in 25 years now 26 of network tv uh i'll tell you one really super quick story because you know that one obviously that that Ryder Cup was delayed because of 9-11. It was pushed back a year. So mm-hmm. Curtis almost had three years as the captain. Uh, that's where we jumped from odd years to even years as they pushed that back to 0-2. Mm-hmm. Um, 97, I get the job. First event is what's now at Kapalua, the Tournament of Champions. At that time, it was at La Costa in Carlsbad, California. Tiger beats Tom Lehman in a, a one-hole playoff on Sunday because the final round was rained out. Well, I get there, and I really don't know much about – I do know something about the sport. I've covered it over the years, followed it, certainly. Uh, but I don't know about covering it at a network level and certainly no, don't know these guys. Say hi. Curtis, first uh, first event we're at, hop in a golf cart. We kind of drive up and down the whole field, and he introduces me to everybody. And um, his his entree as my partner to this sport in 97 and 98 uh, helped me become recognized as uh, somebody who should be there covering golf and really cared about it the right way. And uh, without him, my ease into this job wouldn't have been uh, wouldn't have been as simple as it was. And uh, he's uh, he stayed a long time friend. Uh, he's at that perfect age where he's uh, old enough to ask advice to and young enough to still be a friend. Uh, I adore him. And you'll hear great stories from him about participating in about uh, captaining and about what it means to be a part of the Ryder cup. So I think uh, your listeners will enjoy that. And I know you will as well. We certainly will enjoy anything we get from Curtis strange. Uh, that's coming later this week. We can leave it at that for now. Big thanks to Mike Tirico for joining me today. Pretty incredible how his career is tied so closely some of his most successful moments are tied so closely to a cartoon rabbit. You'll find him working the Ryder Cup for NBC and Golf Channel next weekend. Before then, though, we'll have another great Ryder Cup guest coming onto the podcast, as promised, Curtis Strange, later this week. So, until next time, I'm your host, Sean Zock. Sean Zock.